Welcome to the Feminine Emerges. I am Dr. V. The Feminine Emerges is a podcast that brings voice to the collective feminine, and it is for both men and women speaking from the feminine to the feminine and both men and women. So my very first guest is actually a very aligned masculine, Paul Altini, a mental health therapist. He's also one of my good friends. And after I did the podcast on uh, women being called crazy, he had some feedback from me and said, please share with them these specific points. And I thought, no, it would be better if you share them. So thank you, Paul, for receiving or accepting my invitation. Welcome to the Feminine Emerges. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Avi, for having me on, on this platform with you to, uh, to share my thoughts. And a little bit more about me is that, like you mentioned, my background's in uh, marriage and family therapy. And so I worked at that capacity for about 10 years or so. And uh, my passion is in helping uh, people. My passion is in uh, transformation and really identifying you know, what accounts for the way things are, what accounts for things happening the, the way they've, they've happened. And so for me, I felt the domain of the mind was the best place to investigate that. Um, it's the place where there's still not a lot well-defined there. There's still a lot of theories and ideas. And I believe that by going into this field, I would have a, a bit more of an understanding of what exactly makes things tick, what exactly makes the world the way it is. And so it's with that passion that I stepped into the field of uh, psychology and pursued that degree. Uh, but also it's the passion of helping people and really connecting people that, that I think kept me in the field uh, in which now I currently, I'm still working privately with people as a coach, still doing the same kind of work, just in a different capacity now. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. This is a very important work. And I would consider it sacred work. And um, I want to talk a little bit about the, just the term crazy. I know this is a term that uh, actually has a lot of power. And uh, it has power to uh, sometimes stop us from going for help, uh, going to see someone like yourself. So um, how, how do you define the term crazy and uh, mental health? And um, what would you say to someone who is fearful of being considered crazy in search of, uh, men of help within the mental health field? Well, in the mental health field, we, uh, it's one of those faux pas to say the word crazy when we're referring yeah. to our clients. It's really not a, a very clinical term at all, nor does it really truly ever describe what's happening. I think people use that term loosely um, and has done a disservice in some ways because of what you just explained. Some folks really are fearful 
of being labeled as that you know crazy and 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 then that becoming um kind of the stigma that they're 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 left with so many people avoid you know perhaps getting diagnosed with uh things that could actually help them because of that word that word is so powerful uh, but in a real way we talk about psychosis we talk about you know insanity and and that is more in line with what people kind of are referring to when they mention the word crazy. Uh, they're not really, you know, but they lose, use it so loosely that you start to get a lot of fear around being seen as a person who should be locked up, a person who should be put away, for instance. Um, and there's a lot of uh, shame sometimes attached with that. And so there are real clinical terms, you know, psychosis is definitely a a uh, diagnosis, which which where the person's unable to perceive and respond to reality properly, and they're more responding from internal on internal reality and are, aren't able to interface with the 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 um the outer reality, and that is a form of what some would say again called crazy, that is again tied to a clinical a real clinical term that is diagnosable, um, and. So that's one thing to say, but I did want to go back to that idea of crazy to say that often it's used against people to delegitimize them often. And particularly, you know, since your podcast is about the feminine, that has been used quite a bit around causing fear within the feminine to trust themselves, causing fear in being themselves. And that term is used often again to disarm people and to really kind of uh, keep keep the the guards up at the gate uh, of, of uh, moving forward. So there's a lot of that that happens, uh, which again I think is important to highlight that it's just used sometimes not just as a throwaway line and as a joke, but often to disempower people uh, and to hold people within a certain mode that that. Uh, that society deems, um, you know, uh, acceptable. Uh, yes, um, it can really not only disempower a woman, but it can also be very wounding. And these are the invisible wounds that we don't get to to see. And I think that's probably one of the areas or what makes mental health um, powerful and what makes it mysterious that people might be a little bit afraid to reach for help is because we're often dealing with invisible injuries. If there's an actual physical injury, we know that uh, there's an injury. But when it's something that has to do with the mind, we can guess that there's an injury based on the external uh, behavior. And so this, this fear of being called crazy, would you say that it's it maybe like a collective fear? Do men experience that too? Yes, absolutely. Um, we do. As men, we do experience that as well. It is a collective fear, uh, as you pointed out. Uh, of being labeled as such, because it, it's in a way can cause us to be to feel ostracized, to be mm. pulled away from, and so that is also a very uh, deep wound to feel separate from, 
think part of what we naturally want is to feel integrated and connected. And so when we use that word, we're essentially uh, telling someone or that person who, if they believe that that's what they really are, feel separate and alienated. Uh, and to be alienated uh, from a um, psychoevolution, psychobiological standpoint, from sort of a uh, evolutionary uh, psychology standpoint, to be separate from the tribe means no protection. It means being left out for the wild animals to get you. And so it's a primal fear of us to feel disconnected and separate. And so when you use these types of words, like you said, it creates that kind of separation and creates this disconnection that again is a primal fear of being left to dead. You know, if a tribe's not there to protect you, if you're not a part of that tribe, then you're left uh, to die. So it's uh -huh. very scary. It could be very threatening in a way that doesn't always resonate for the conscious mind, but from the subconscious mind, it's, it's felt. And there's a lot of fear around that. So would you say that the parts of us that could be called crazy minus the proper diagnosis of someone having psychosis, would you say those are parts of ourselves that are not integrated? For example, maybe someone is very artistic and they might be a little bit different and might, they might come across as eccentric. And because they don't fall within the default um, frame of society that they might feel like, well, it might not be safe to express my artistic side, especially maybe if that person has a more traditional career pathway um, or a very traditional family, or um, maybe if someone is tapping into uh, their personal power, having that ability to say yes or to say no, uh, that could be uh, threatening. Would, would integrating those parts of ourselves that could be weaponized help us to have more power? For instance, for me personally, um, if someone said you're crazy, my empowering, my empowering answer is so, because I know I'm not crazy. Sure. And so, like, that wouldn't have any power over me. It's like, okay, so what? And, <laughs> okay. And so that's, that's kind of how I was able to help one of my friends because she doesn't have psychosis. She's a professional. She's, you know, she has her life together. And yet that was being weaponized. And I had, it was almost like waking her up from a spell to remind her, like, no, like, you're actually not crazy. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, how, how do we, is, is there an integration that's needed to be able to, to block the effect of the weapon? Absolutely. Yeah, well said. And definitely there is a need for integration and acceptance of our, our unique way of thinking, unique way of being. And it hasn't always been safe to, to be that. Uh, again, because of the platform we're speaking on and feminine emerges, this was particularly true for women who, you know, from Joan of Arc to uh, Salem witch trials, you know, these are the different ways that it hasn't felt safe sometimes to be a century. 
to be as you are in, in for the expression of yourself. Um, and even while there is fear from the person who is being called crazy, who is showing these different attributes and that it falls outside the line of you know, what's considered normal society, there is a fear on the other side as well. And I think that's really important to highlight because the reaction to ostracize and to run into and to, to delegitimize, disempower comes from a society that's fearful of differences, fearful of change. And so the fear is, is, is really running a through both, uh, both parts, uh, kind of circulating all around because it's fear from the greater society as well, um, which causes fear for the individual to again, be able to be themselves. But that, that's really important to, to, to highlight that that's part of why we don't, society doesn't allow us to be truly ourselves without the kind of knee jerk reaction we see of calling someone crazy and again, trying to take away their, their unique uniqueness. So if, if calling someone crazy is the weapon, would you say that one of the ammunition is gaslighting? Yes, definitely. Or is it the other way around? Is gaslighting <laughs> the weapon and the ammunition is the label? Well, you know, it can be certainly, you know, depending on what vantage point you're seeing it from, it can be seen different ways. And, and it, you know, it's not always a linear one-to-one -one type of uh uh, I guess, logic to, to draw. It, it can be a circular logic as well, because yeah, gaslighting is a form of the, uh, disempowering someone and it's done so primarily around causing someone to doubt their reality, doubt themselves. So and it's so, crazy making. It's crazy making, yes. Mm. Absolutely. It's crazy making and in fact, not only will they tell you you are, if someone is in the process of what you know is called gaslighting, and for those um, who may not know what we're referring to, uh, this is again a term that's used. It's not a clinical term per se, but it's a kind of um, a layman's term of uh, manipulation. Essentially, is manipulating someone's idea of reality to such an extent with such consistency that that person starts to really doubt their own reality and doubt whether or not uh, what they believe happened really happened because a person uses emotional, psychological and cognitive manipulation to uh, make that person feel, you know, if the person for instance said, you know, I really thought you meant this when you said this phrase and the person really did mean it and they say, well, what are you crazy? What would you think that? Mm. And that right there will stop a person. The idea behind it is to stop the person on their tracks from further investigating it. And then they may go further and say, well, you know what, you're always like misinterpreting things. You know, the other day, you know, you were listening to that and I, you said you heard this person say that, but really they didn't say that. You know, you, I think there's something wrong with you. You might need to be checked out or something, right? There's something wrong with you. Mm. Such a powerful weapon yeah someone with that phrase and there the stigma can be 
can start to come in and from there it can be really difficult for a person who's not fully grounded to hold their own and um, and push against that kind of uh, manipulation and really assert their their um, their uh, clarity and assert that you know what they they believe is true wow so is is this something that is common or where do we where do we find these scenarios are they happening in the workplace are they are they happening in um romantic personal relationships are they happening in friendships are they happening between parents and child where are they most common that that that, that dynamic well, you know, as a member of the masculine, it's it's unfortunate to have to say that, that it's usually coming from men to women in the workplace or in romantic relationships. Uh, that's usually where the power dynamics are a little bit more at play. And even with a child to a parent, but there already there's a certain power dynamics that's established. And so it's it's not as necessary where men would necessarily use that against say their daughter, but in intimate relationships, this happens often. And it's usually, you know, this could go both ways. Women can certainly do it to men, but what we've seen around the kind of emotional manipulation that happens, uh, the documentation of that points to it largely uh, being perpetrated by men to women. Uh, and there's something, really uh, really important in understanding that because I think in some ways the woman the woman who typically is guided by their intuition and guided by emotions you know they they rely on emotions often not in all cases you know not yeah. to stereotype it but largely when we look at the feminine and, and the quality of that energy it's usually around um, being very fluid, very uh, intuitive, very nuanced and emotional and receptive. And so it becomes easier sometimes when a man recognizes that in a woman to push against that, to disturb those waters with these types of gaslighting methods. Uh, this can certainly happen uh, in, in the workplace, coworkers, uh, and it's a way to, again, to disempower and when we are looking at disempowering, often it's because where the other is trying to assert power and trying to gain more power. Um, and our history has shown that, again, sad to say, but I'm here as a man saying to admit it, that the male dominated society that we've been raised in, has been all about power, all about control. And so we see this from a global standpoint, from a historical standpoint, and we see it still distilling down into a personal level in relationships, uh, for instance, between men and women. Well, I can say as uh, a member of the feminine that one of the wounds that can happen is when you dismiss your intuition and, and listen to the truth or the lie of someone when your intuition was true all along. Because um, even though it's coming from the external, but there's also an element of self-betrayal because the, the intuition knew, you knew better. And so the protection of a woman's intuition 
and not giving someone access to not only mess with your mind and but not to mess with your intuition that's also uh, uh very important and powerful so when a woman is able to to stand in her truth and to protect herself would you say now that women are stepping more into their powers are we seeing more instances of gaslighting is um is that something that automatically comes up when women start to rise yes unfortunately again yes yes uh, absolutely because it's about the dynamics of power and and the fear as well that again is runs through like a circuit through both both women and and, and men and what runs through our society and so, yeah, we do see more instances. We are seeing more instances. And I think one of the clear examples of that is how the feminist movement is used against women and is, is sort of saying, you know, feminazi, or feminazi, I think is the term. Mm, yeah, yeah. Feminazi, uh, as if being a feminine now is being attributed to being oppressive and being almost tied into Nazism. And so when you start, when young women are growing up thinking about themselves as feminists and they're hearing this from their schoolmates, you know, and, and on the social media, you know, it causes them to pause and again, to have a situation where they're questioning themselves. You know, it's a form of gaslighting in that it manipulates yes. and distorts what the movement is and reduces it in a way that make creates doubt, creates apprehension and within that person so you know it's it's happening a lot because you hear it often now yeah i've experienced that personally hosting a show with with two male hosts and i i know of it happening but it's surreal when you're in the room and it's happening because you can't believe that a movement that was meant to correct such harm could be reacted to as if it's worse than the actual harm. And I think we see the same when it comes to uh, racism. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of gaslighting. And so uh, oftentimes I might use one to, to help make a point so that if it's the issue of race, and I would say, do you hear yourself? Would you say the same about women? And so usually not too many people have strong um, views on both. Some mm -hmm. people do. And so if it's, if I'm, let's say, hosting and the hosts are black male, then mm -hmm. I would say, take the same statement and say it within the context of race mm -hmm. and then they usually will get it yes and so um but i think even having to explain that to someone um it's it's a um at least for me it feels like i'm squandering my energy it's like does this even need explaining mm -hmm. and sometimes i wonder is it because that this person doesn't actually understand this because i, I don't sense that it's coming from a lack of understanding i think it is coming from that 
that need to disempower uh, women. And so I wanted to ask you that need to disempower women, is it coming from a space of disempowerment within the men? Yes, absolutely. Um, that is where it comes from um, because there is, um, <laughs> You know, for there was time where the women women are revered in certain cultures, even now women are revered as goddesses in, in that they were seen as um, powerful. And um, again, in a way that for me, there's, a, there's an important aspect of understanding, you know, kind of what you just asked, the question you asked to put it into some context a little bit, because the woman, it's, you know, we call earth, mother earth. Oh, and we all come from a woman. All of us do. Women have a power to give birth. Uh, women have things that happen within their bodies every month that men <laughs> would be <laughs> frightened of. I can speak for myself. <laughs> That's just... <laughs> I would be like, what's going on in my body here every month? This is going on. And, you know, and, and it's certainly, you know, the the intuition aspect as well, you yeah. know, the, the sort of mystical qualities and the power of of sensuality, of of, of uh, you know, sex and the, the allure of the woman, the power of the woman is threatening sometimes when you don't understand it. And so naturally men come in, if they're looking at it that way and, and just watching all of this, all of these you know, features of what it means to be a woman and, and understanding again, the nurturing and life-giving power, it it's, can be a little intimidating. So, is it the nurturing, life-giving power that's threatening, or is it the dormant, um, destructive power that um, we don't get to tap into as women? Because um, if you can build, you can also destroy. So, is this what is is this what we're all afraid of, men and women? I think so, women for different reasons, but yes, uh, that destructive power is real. And it's, it's uh, women are considered sometimes, uh, I mean, you turned me on to this book, you know, Women Who Run With Wolves. Yeah. And <laughs> a great book <laughs> that opened up my eyes to so many things and shifted my perspective in a powerful way. Um, but, you know, women can be seen as wolves at times, you know, in a way it's cunning and powerful and yet very, uh, uh, can be very destructive and very uh, intense in their emotions. And so, yeah, it, 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 you know, women are seen as sort of this, again, this very uh, powerful being and, and that includes life-giving qualities, which again is, almost magical in a way. And I, you know, you can imagine early men looking at themselves and understand, well, what do I do? And how do I, how do I show up? And what do I bring to the table? And over time, there's certainly the role of men is important, 
we know that, but I could see where that feeling within the, the idea in that moment would be, how do we control this power? How do we make sure we keep it in check? How do we make sure it's running under our uh, thumbs and our, under our uh, agenda? Because it's so powerful, you know, it could get out of hand and it could eventually consume us, can actually rule us. It can. (laughs) It can. And um, it's uh, the term for it when it's repressed and it starts erupting like a volcano is sacred rage. Mm. And um, both men and women are afraid of the power of the sacred rage. And I think one of the things that's happening as women are tapping into their power is that we have not seen true feminine power in millennia. So that can also be gaslit into being called masculine. Because we don't really know what the feminine power looks like yet. Unapologetic feminine power. So a woman in her power could be uh, called uh, masculine. Um, what I would say as a feminine is that the fear of the feminine power or the feminine power could be considered the ocean. And so the fear would be, I might drown in this ocean, but you can also learn to swim. And so if you learn to swim and be ocean of the feminine it is very vast and it's it's very um intense but it's the ocean and we do have all of these different powers and we also have the feminine within men and so when a man is afraid of that power he's also part of his disempowerment is not tapping into his feminine nature so when we are able to tap into these true our true nature the fullness of the feminine and the fullness of the masculine then we realize that yes it could destroy you and it should destroy you what it destroys is the misalignment in order to have that true connection so we should embrace the uh aligned sacred destructive nature of uh, the feminine and um, we, sh- you, we should be fearful of it um, but it's the part of us that are not ready to be destroyed but when we are ready to to be liberated then we welcome that uh, destruction because certain things must collapse in order to have that resurrection so it is the caterpillar being afraid to become a butterfly yes um when you when you start melting and losing yourself that is fear so that is something to at least revere it 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 is destructive but that's the only possible way to be transformed and to go through that metamorphosis of becoming the butterfly so i think what the masculine wants from us is this reassurance that no, 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 
it's safe mm. and um the mask <laughs> mm-hmm. i think it's the, the the nature of the masculine is actually to be the protector and to provide the container and that safety mm-hmm. so the safety that the masculine is looking for is actually within because when the masculine is aligned um the feminine cannot destroy the masculine the true masculine mm-hmm. so what is destroyed is the false self well not only that it doesn't want to you know no. it, doesn't, it doesn't want to because that's not it, it loves the masculine you know the feminine loves the masculine and and, and the true masculine loves the feminine and, you know we're designed to do that and to be uh, integrated in that way to be compatible in that way uh, someone said once about the masculine and feminine that it's like having one, you know, because we've been such a male-dominated society for so long that it's been, it's kind of like having a bird with one wing. Uh, and a bird with one wing is obviously, you know, going to be flying in circles, never going anywhere until the, the, until the feminine is on equal playing field and both wings are now erect and working properly. You know, we're not we're going to keep going into in circles and in and, and that once that happens, then we'll start to fly forward. We'll start to move forward as a society. Um, but it, that work has to be done within the society, within you know our communities, uh, from people to people, but also, like you mentioned, within our own selves. And we need to heal the divide that has ha- has happened, which has been in a way distilled down to us to not like the feminine and to the such a degree that even the feminine women are are oppressors of women and and women can kind of create an internalized sexism and start to view and discount their their feminine attributes um because this is such a great job in, in convincing us that these aren't desirable attributes they're weak and they're mysterious and weird yes because once a woman starts tapping into her power then another woman might feel like girl what are you doing like they might actually think we're really crazy like get back in line (laughs) yes and and that's sometimes the most effective way to (laughs) the oppressor knows it's we can get them to keep each other in line and and do it to such an extent that they doubt each other and fight amongst then my job is easier and so yeah you're right it's what do you think you're doing yeah and, and I, I also think one of the things that happened with the patriarchy was fragmenting us so that we feel like each woman gets to be one thing that a woman is now a very one-dimensional creature and so uh you get to be smart the other one gets to be sexy the other one gets to be a mom the other one gets to be a working woman and so what's happening is that we're integrating into our wholeness. So the more whole a woman becomes, the more it's letting the other woman know that you can be as whole. And that can also be threatening because that requires that other woman to consider that same integration. And for me, um, I started understanding our wholeness by looking into the attributes of the different goddesses. 
And recently I was reading um, an article or reading from a website and the most beautiful um, depiction of a man loving a woman that I could find was Shiva in order to please Durga reminded her of her 108 names. And so now we see a model where a woman is not just one or two or three or five things, but a woman gets to have 108, which is a number for infinity aspects. Yeah. And then reading those names was so healing and affirming because uh, there were names where it's like, you know, the powerful one, the one who destroys demons, the nurturing one, the smart one. And it was just like this, this wholeness, this completeness that we haven't seen. And until a man can see that within a woman, he can only contain parts of her. So the safety of the feminine within the masculine is when he can contain the whole of her. And then remembering her name, he remembers his name because a man also has 108 names. Mm -hmm. And I also think that there's a fear of the true power of the masculine. We have not seen the true aligned power of the masculine either. What we have seen is misalignment and control and abuse and manipulation. So the masculine has not tapped into his true power. So as soon as one of us is unwavering and wanting to be whole and wanting to be powerful, what we get to do for each other is to remind each other of our 108 names. And that's how we awaken. And that's true love. And I was going to ask you this question earlier. Mm -hmm. How do we inoculate ourselves from gaslighting? And as I was talking, I realized the answer is the inoculation comes with the truth. And the truth is the remembering of who we are and the way that we remember and the way that we awaken one another is, is through that love. So would you say that love is the true love is the inoculation or is there another inoculation? No, I think it's uh, true love is a powerful um, remedy for so many things and including this, this, you know, again, the inoculation from being easily gaslit and easily taken for a journey away from self. You know, there's a, a saying that goes to, to, know me is to love me or no I think it goes the other way to to love me is to know me mm. and so what you just described is exactly that a knowing that is so deep um, that it encompasses all these various aspects of you and accepts them and, and you know kisses their hands or kisses their feet in that acceptance of being fully yourself and that is so important uh, for people to feel grounded and feel integrated and feel loved 
because there are many of us that have these various aspects to ourselves. And because of, again, the fear of being called crazy and the fear of, you know, we like. <laughs> Imagine telling a therapist, there are 108, <laughs> 108 <names. laughs> That's diagnosable. <laughs> no, not at all. No, that's that's no, okay. no, 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 no. You see, I would be fearful. That is a description <laughs> of of our personality traits, <laughs> different aspects of ourselves, and different ways that we can show up in the world. And you know, and so that is again part of the coming home. You know, that that is the inoculation, as you were asking, what else is there? And we have to investigate beyond you know one or two sources of inf of information you know our, our uh, sometimes we have to go outside of our relationship uh, to a friendship to remind us of who we are uh, to a uh, family member to remind us of who we are and sometimes we have to uh, leave the family and go to a friend to remind us who we are or go to our partners to remind us who we are and we have to be open to getting information from different sources uh, to reflect to us who we really are, because each one holds a different mirror up for us, making different aspects of ourselves visible to ourselves. And so that is one way to inoculate ourselves from being able to be gaslit, is to expand our sources. And sometimes that source is going within. That's another way of knowing. And then in fact, that is the primary way of knowing to quiet the mind down and get into experience and consciousness because the mind is a fabrication of, of, of the consciousness. It's a, co a collection of that. So that's another source. So meditation, being still, being out in nature and allowing your consciousness to experience yourself and experience the moment is another way of knowing yourself and another way of inoculating yourself against being gaslit because the truth will come to you if you quiet long enough will come from within and the insight will will come from within because the first part of your knowing the world came from within it came from the witness the observer and you were able to learn things about the world, learn your name, learn your mother's name, learn you know, uh, about trees and so on from this internal observer that was able to distinguish and call things by their names in the way that you know, we're talking about being called by our names here. And you start to realize, oh, that's a bird, that's a mother, that's a father, that's a sister, that's a brother. But that part of us is deep knowing. And so we spend time with that part of you, reconnect with that part of you and love that part of you. And love, as you said, you know, the, the, the remedy is love. It, yeah, the love for self, the acceptance of all of our parts to show up is the most powerful sometimes love that we can have the most powerful sort of inoculation we can have against being swayed by by people who want to 
again, gaslit and, and disempower us. And so that comes from sitting, spending time with, with ourselves, spending time with ourselves and really allowing our, our, our true way of knowing to begin illuminating where we are in our lives and what, who we really are. And it will be revealed because it's your birthright or it's, just, it's something you're born with being able to do. Would you say that one of the benefits of living in this time is that we're able to find more mirrors for these aspects of ourselves that are coming out, that we're able to feel safer to reveal parts of ourselves? So, for example, for me, even um, the, the podcast, the feminine emerges that stem from a seed that had been germinating in my heart from growing up Catholic and looking at the cosmology of the church and seeing that there's a mother, there's a father, there's a son, there's a mother, uh, there's the Holy Spirit. Where's the daughter? And so I've been in search of connecting with myself and knowing myself as a daughter and restoring that as a Catholic. And within that system, there's also the fear of, do I get to say things like goddesses? So my last podcast was... Uh, a writing that I had that said, dear goddess, do not mess around with demigods. And so within, the, within um, my conversations with friends like you, that's how I speak. But to be able to say that uh, from my Catholic background, there's still that fear. And yet, the fact that others are saying it, then we get to give each other that strength. And speaking of goddesses, I realized that it's, it's actually very acceptable for women to be goddesses, that we can call each other a goddess, and I'm a goddess, and a man can call a woman a goddess. I think um, it starts becoming diagnostical <laughs> when the masculine starts saying I'm a god I, I, is that <laughs> I, I think society responds to that differently so um are men do men feel it that women gets to be called goddesses openly that they can't say that because if a guy says I'm a god then you think oh this person has a god complex so um, what, how is that for, for the masculine watching the rise of all these goddesses? <laughs> uh, to answer that question, it's a great question. I've never really thought of that question. I've never thought of it, I guess, in my mind. Why don't I get to call myself God? You know, there's, there's a goddess right there. I'm a god. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but it's a great point. Take that to uh, therapy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? For me, unfortunately, my mind goes into, you know, like 
you know, conspiracy mode, but overthinking perhaps in some ways, <laughs> because for some reason, it seems like the word God is more coveted and protected than the word God. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sad reality of it. Ah. <laughs> to me, from my perspective. Because of the yeah. absence of the goddess and the absence yes. of the daughter within Correct. the structure Human of the church. aspects are reduced to, oh, yeah, yeah goddess, but God is God. And God so is goddesses God. get to walk on earth. Well, yeah, I mean, that, gods don't. Gods are like, and, 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 and they wouldn't say gods in the plural sense either. Well, right. It's you know, God. most people is just yeah, God. So that would be sacrilegious. Sacrilegious. There we go. And there we go with the language and how our language entraps us into a worldview, into a, a world, a way of being in a world that creates this kind of, you know, discrepancy where, you know, Women are calling themselves goddess. Men call women goddess, goddesses, and men won't call themselves. If they do, like you said, it's <laughs> narcissistic. It's a little problematic. <laughs> like, man, what do you think you are? Kind of. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I think there's a there's a bias in that, even you know, and and that is again still where the women is held. The goddess, the idea of goddess, is not held as high up. Mm. Oh, unfortunately. Yeah, thank you for, for reframing it for me. So is this why now we have um, the terms divine masculine and divine feminine? Mm, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, that is one way of, of, again, language is so important. The words, you know, people respond to these words even while they're just sounds. And divine masculine is something that... Um, is more digestible for people to hear and and to really understand what that means and uh and re repeat as well loud you know and say yeah loud. it is more digestible yeah being seen <laughs> a certain way so but you know whatever brings us to our divinity i'm all for you know i, I think that the words yes are what they are and i don't know you know we can't always control that and people's perception of words are, are what they've made up over their experiences and so on, their cultures. But me, I just think that it's it's important for us to come back to our divinity. And I'll use that word to our um, to our real power, because I think that we are sacred beings. You know, here's that word again. We we yeah. are exceptional, you know, as we are. And you, you know, I've heard me say this before that just being this human being and being here on this planet, living this life, able to do what we're doing right now, for instance, speaking about these things, trading ideas, sharing our minds through words is uh, exceptionally brilliant. It's, it's clearly supernatural. It's uh, an exceptional experience. So we lose track of that. And when we lose sight of that, then their doubts come in, then the fears come in, the divisions come in, separation, and then we start to pit ourselves against each other, fighting for power, fighting for our supremacy, you know, fighting for these dominance. But if we can come back to the truth, I believe is the truth of that our sacredness is, is a given from our birth, our skins, our hair, our every aspect of ourselves is, is divine. Then there's not a need for much more to long for. I think that's the true power 
our sacredness. Absolutely. And it sounds like the true boundary to be able to say, I am sacred. And this is sacred because so many things are sacred and that we're not treating them as sacred. To be able to say the earth is sacred, the trees are sacred, the water is sacred, children are sacred, women are sacred, men are sacred. I think the moment we say that, then there's there's no, it's, it creates a circle because when you have the fight for power, it's usually when you have a vertical dynamic where one has to be on top one has to be at the bottom and sacredness is such a circular word that automatically you say, I am sacred. This is sacred. Then it creates like the shield of protection and we can both be sacred at the same time. How could you compete for that? How, how Mm -hmm. does me being sacred prevent you from being sacred? Mm -hmm. I I think, uh, I think we found, the um the solution at least (laughs) i think i think i found it because um if i am sacred then i get to treat myself a certain way i get to know which environments are for me and not for me so if i'm in an environment where i'm being manipulated then that's not the way you treat a, you treat a sacred being. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just having that, that air of, um, of sacredness. Mm-hmm. This was a very sacred conversation. We didn't know where it would land. And here we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, Paul. I don't know that I have any more questions? Although I feel like there's something extra that I <laughs> that I wanted to say, so well, we might we might have a part two if it pops up. Well, yeah, I'd be happy to to join you again, and I thank you for having for having me here and having this sacred conversation. Um, definitely, it's powerful and healing. You know, these words we're just speaking about words. Words are important. Words are powerful. And words can certainly heal and words can help align. You know, I think this topic and your podcast and what you're doing will bring that into the world. So I'm just very excited for you and really happy to be able to share a platform with you and to uh, continue to be a support and um, you to continue to bring yourself fully into this world and um, give the world your gift. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. And before we leave, I just want to end it with that therapy could be a sacred relationship between the client and the therapist, because I really want people to not lose that gift that is available that, um, these sacred beings go to school to be able to offer a container to address some of the invisible things that are plaguing us. Mm -hmm. So let's not allow the word crazy to prevent us from going to therapy. 
So look at it as something sacred. If, if you uh, need to go to therapy, which I think all of us could use therapy. So if someone wanted to get a hold of you, Paul, for your services, how could they get in touch with you? Thank you for asking. And um, definitely want to highlight what you said, because it's such an important thing uh, to drive home, to echo. And the other thing I would add to what you said, um, not only is therapy great if you're in a, in a breakdown, you know, you're going through a difficult time, but so therapy, that sacred relationship uh, can be a way of expansion as well, growing beyond. It's not always about fixing something that is broken when it comes to therapy. That sacred relationship can help to expand and help you to break the mold of wherever you might be plateauing in. And so there's that benefit to it as well. Um, and so that really important to keep that in mind. It's not just oh something's wrong and you see somebody, but rather, you know, I'm at a place now where I'm really ready to take up the next stage. We want to get clarity. I want to have a way to process what my next step is going to look like, and that can be really powerful um, work that the therapist and the client gets to do as well. Uh, and for me, if someone was looking to have a coach, someone to help them through either, either the breakdowns or the breakthroughs, uh, they can reach me at, my number is probably the best way to reach me. Uh, my number is 206-304-1100. That's 206-304-1100. That's my cell, so a text would be a great way to start a conversation. Um, and then we can take it from there. The other thing is email. It's another great way to reach me. My email is paulaltine1, the number one at gmail.com. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you for this sacred conversation, this very meaningful conversation. I hope to have you again in the podcast. And I can't wait to see what's, what's next uh, for for the podcast. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to The Feminine Emerges. And this is a perfect example of the contribution of men uh, helping to contribute to the emergence of the feminine. I'll uh, see you next time and stay tuned for our next episode.